Hey, this is Doug Eccles. We want to welcome you to our podcast, Got Better Things for You. Acts chapter 2, just verse number 1. We're going to read one verse there. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're going to agree together uh, over Robbie Tripp. We're going to agree together with uh, about LaDonna Grissom, Sister LaDonna Grissom. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Father God, we pray right now healing into LaDonna Grissom's body from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord, we curse infection in the name of Jesus, and we speak the healing power of God to flow in the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. Lord, this is a great woman of God. Raise her up uh, with strength and power in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray for Robbie Tripp, Lord, uh, that whatever's come against him, we speak healing now in the name of Jesus. And we believe, Lord, that nothing is impossible. Be made whole in the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It will not return void, but it shall prosper in that which it is sent tonight. We declare that this is the place of liberty and freedom. Lord, let us have have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. If I were to ask tonight what the church needs more than anything else in the world, we'd have a hundred different answers. Everybody has their idea. You know, everybody has what they like and what they think. But I'm going to tell you, if you ask my opinion what the church needs more than anything else in the world today, I say we need another Pentecost. And after that, we need another Pentecost. And after that, we need another Pentecost. Because I found that Pentecost uh, was not only a festival, of all, it was not only something that was going on for many years, but really Pentecost to you and I is where the church began. Pentecost is where uh, uh, the church began. It was where walls were broken down. It was where broken down barriers between people. It was upon all flesh. It ministered to the young and the old and it ministered to the rich and to the poor. And I still believe Pentecost reaches everyone. When we have a Pentecostal revival, it's, you know, uh, I I may have some gray hair, but I'm going to tell you, when Pentecost happens, young people are moved by God. And when Pentecost, it breaks down that barrier that you think you got to look like this certain way and act a way to reach people. The Holy Ghost will reach people that you cannot on your own. Can I get an amen? But I was thinking today that we need another Pentecost because Pentecost is supernatural. It's over involving God. We don't need a a man-made revival. We don't need a pastor-made revival, an evangelist-made revival. But what we really need is another Pentecost. And uh, I I believe uh, something great happens when God moves. Now, on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room. My wife and I, we've been to the upper room. We've had some great experiences in the upper room. We love the upper room. 
And uh, the very first time that we went there, we were traveling with, uh, I think, 59 people from Connecticut. We had 38 from New Jersey. My wife is from uh, Michigan. I was the only person that talked right on the whole trip. I had to have an interpreter everywhere I went with those folks. But uh, I will tell you that I love the pastor, uh, uh, both of them that I went with, and they were a blessing to me. And, and they, you know, they gave me a pick. They said, Doug, you preach wherever you want. I said, well, I want to preach at Mount Carmel where fire fell down from heaven. And I want to preach at the Valley uh, of Megiddo where Armageddon takes place. And then I want to preach at the upper room. I said, other than that, you know, I, I don't really care what we do. I love the Sea of Galilee. I loved a lot of things, but uh, I, I love anywhere Jesus was at, all right? Those places were the most uh, great for me. But on the day that we were to go to the upper room, we had been planning for six months. Those pastors would call me and say, Doug, when we get to the upper room, we're going to have a great time, preach a red-hot gospel sermon. We're going to have a breakthrough. And, and uh, uh, you know, we were expecting something to happen. How many know that when you expect something to happen, it changes things? Amen. Expectation is proof of your faith. Good. And we were expecting God to move. Well, that morning, uh, we were at a hotel there uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, early that morning, there was a knock on my door. It was one of the pastors. He said, Doug, we're not going to have an hour and a half like we thought we were going to have in the upper room. We are going to have 15 minutes. They changed it, all right, on us, because some, you know, famous evangelist came into the country, and he had like 13 buses, so our little two didn't really matter as much. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's a pecking order in this world, if you haven't figured that out. So... On the way to the upper room, I'm trying to figure out how to make an hour and a half service go to 15 minutes. Some of you wish I could figure that out tonight. But I got into that upper room and I got out of the bus last because I'm looking at my Bible and I'm thinking, you know, I'll just cut that, I'll cut that. And I finally just came to the realization, I'm just going to read Acts 1 verse 8, then start with Acts chapter 2 and just tell everybody, lift up your hands and, and God's going to fill you like he did on the day of Pentecost. That's all, you know, that was basically my plan. I got out of the bus last, and I was the very last person to walk into the upper room. And I've told the story probably before some of you have heard it, but when you walk into the upper room, for me, I have to bend down a little bit because the door is short. And when I ducked down a little bit to go into that upper room, uh, uh, I was the last one in, and a dove swooped down and, and went across my shoulder and brushed the side of my face and my ear. And uh, I was with some pretty conservative preachers, okay? You know, they're not, they don't just shout over anything. But the one pastor, he grabs me, he's going, it's a dove, it's a dove, it's a dove. He's excited now, all right? And I knew what that significance was. I knew that, you know, when Jesus was baptized, the, the, there was the symbol of the dove that came down. We, we know the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Are you understanding that? 
but we know that uh, it was a symbol that uh, God was there, and uh, I, I knew about the dove, and I understood, but I believe the Lord spoke to me. I had been uh, going through a time where everybody that I preached for thought the name of my ministry was ridiculous. Okay, the name of our ministry is Holy Ghost Celebration Ministries. All right, and uh, I had some guys say, Doug, you would have more open doors if you take the word Holy Ghost off of your ministry name. All right, because Holy Ghost scares people. You know, it's funny how people spend all the whole month of October trying to scare the liver out of people, and then they come to church and a word like Holy Ghost scares them. Have you watched a commercial in October? Those scare me. But the Holy Ghost never has scared me. All right, so whether you say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, they're, they're both used in the King James and, and in other versions. Maybe they don't use the word ghost, but it doesn't even matter. Get over it. I'm old school. Okay? So, but I was kind of thinking, you know, I might change the name to something like, you know, world, world's water wells, you know, something. Because if you have a name like that, even people that don't go to church, they'll help you. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it because I've got these guys talking to me all the time. But when I walked in that room and that dove sweeped across my shoulder, I heard the Lord speak to me, don't back up an inch about the Holy Ghost. It's what my people need the most. So I don't really care if you don't like Holy Ghost Celebration Ministries because I find that the Word of God says that the Holy Ghost magnifies Jesus and the Holy Ghost testifies of Jesus. And if you have a Holy Ghost Celebration, then there's going to be a whole lot of people getting saved, and that's what it's all about. Somebody say amen tonight. We need the Spirit of God to move. Because when the Holy Ghost moves, I'm going to tell you that it, it is how the church began. We know that 3,000 were saved on that beginning day. And uh, I'm thinking about this a little bit. If salvation experiences were included in the original day of Pentecost, then are we really Pentecostal if we're not seeing people get saved at our church? Come on, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Now, I might even back up a little bit. Are we really Pentecostal if we're not seeing people get saved or at least throwing out the net for people to be saved? Because are you, you know, I don't know if you, you know, I know your pastor's a fisherman and he catches fish. But I don't know. I think even if you throw the line out, you might be a fisherman. You may not catch everything, but I'm going to tell you, you are called, you and I are called to throw out the net. And there was a Pentecost that started the church, and there will be a Pentecost that finishes the church. How many believe that? You say, what, am I, what do I mean by that? How many know there's a story in the Bible? And a lot of people use it, and, 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 and they say, well, why did the Lord put that story in the Bible? The story is about there's a wedding. The wedding is Jesus' mother's there, and if you really look into the history of a wedding, uh, they weren't like, you know, what we do now. We spend an hour, uh, you know, uh, in a maybe a service or 45 minutes, you know, where we, uh, uh, you know, uh, ask the Lord uh, to do something great in this couple's life, and then we have the reception where we invite the devil in. 
on, Doug. I'll get over here a little bit. But a wedding doesn't last that long in America. Thank the Lord. I like funerals better than weddings. But you say, why do I like a funeral better than a wedding? Because if the person's saved, man, we can rejoice about heaven. And you can give an altar call at a funeral. You start doing that at a wedding, people think you're nuts. But I don't really care. But that story is in there at a wedding, according to the history. Some of those weddings took seven days. They were a continual celebration. And I don't know, but here they are, and Jesus' mother must be involved somehow with the family that's getting married because she comes to Jesus. And at this time now, Jesus is the man of the house. Joseph is dead. How many know what that means? Okay, you know, uh, uh, if I go to my mother's house, my dad's still the man of the house, but I'm going to tell you something. If I go to my mom's house, I'm changing light bulbs. I'm taking the trash out. I'm doing whatever she needs done because that role has kind of changed. Now, Joseph is gone. The role has changed. Jesus is the man of the house. She goes to Jesus. Hey, you need to help. They have run out of wine. He said, you know, now, why is this story in there? I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts here. So he says, hey, it is not my time, but she's, I don't know, she's a typical woman, Mary is. She ignored what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus was going to do what she wanted, whether he liked it or not. He the story just goes right into whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Amen. She didn't say, she didn't sit there and argue with him and say, Jesus, you are my son and you're going to do what I tell you to do. She didn't, she just, by, she just probably gave him the mama look. Okay, this is a human Jesus, all right? Sometimes we act like, you know, he floated around on earth, but he walked on, in clay feet on this earth. And because of that, we got to understand when he's sinless, it's really a big deal. Because there's not one of you with clay feet that are sinless. You know, we'd be arguing with our mama. It's not my time, mama. Leave me alone. And somehow we'd get over into sin. Now, she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. Now, he takes water and fills those pots up and turns the water into wine. Now, that story today, we got woke Jesus everywhere. You know, woke Jesus is, he's the one you go get drunk with. Woke Jesus is your bartender. That's, that's what some people think that story's in there for. Well, I beg to differ with you. That's right, why is this story in the Bible? I think two things. We know it was his first miracle. But it wasn't his only miracle, but it was the beginning. It said it was the beginning of miracles. But I'm going to tell you something. I want you to look at this. John chapter 2 verse 10. In John chapter 2 verse 10, And he said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine 
until now. I believe not only is this a story about miracles, but I'm thinking today that we ought to understand that that God is saying, I'm saving the best for last. How many understand we are living in the last days? That trumpet could sound at any moment and the shout could go up and the dead in Christ rise first and we which are alive remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, I believe that his coming is so near that we are living in the last of the last of the last days. Do you understand that? But with that being said, you know, some of us say, man, I'd like to go back to 1950 or I'd like to go back to 1930 or I'd like to go back to 1906 or I'd like to go back to uh, New Year's Eve at Topeka, Kansas with Charles Parham. I, you know, we got all these things we want to we think about. But I'm going to tell you, I believe he chose you and I to be alive in these days. And I believe uh, that he has saved the best for last. I don't think that these last days are are supposed to be all about disease and people dying and all that but I'm going to tell you I believe that these last days are supposed to be days of revival that God has held out uh, uh, still uh, from calling us back and he's uh, held that back from uh, uh, letting Jesus come back because he wants one more person to be saved he's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance and I believe that somehow in these last Last days, I don't understand how it's going to happen because if I look with the natural eye, I sometimes get a little pessimistic. But when I read the Word of God, my pessimism leaves and my doubt goes and faith comes. And He said, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You are living in the best days. He has saved the best for last. Listen to about what Pentecost is. Number one, Pentecost is the day that Jesus keeps his promise. Pentecost is the day that Jesus keeps his promise. In Luke 24 and 49, Jesus said, Behold, I, 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 I'm telling you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said, I promise you there's something coming. It was the promise of the Father. And he said uh, later, I will send you another comforter. When we know about this outpouring of the Spirit that has swept the world, do you realize that there are more Pentecostals in Brazil than there are Catholics? And it was it's one of the biggest Catholic countries in the world, but the Pentecostals are outnumbering them now. I'm going to tell you, the Pentecostals are moving all over Africa. The Pentecostals are moving throughout Europe. I'm going to tell you, revival's happening. It's not happening with some uh, old uh, uh, French people. It's not happening with the English. English people, but it's happening with the African immigrants to those countries. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe God wants to do without a move of God in the English and the French and the and the Ukrainians and the Russians and all the Eastern Europeans. But I'm telling you, I believe this outpouring is for all flesh. It is the promise of the Father. Somebody say amen. He will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Another comforter. He said, I'm going to give you another one just like me. Do you have, a, you, have, you have the money bag? Reach in there. Get something out of it. I, I might have done this at camp meeting. I don't know. 
Give me a 20 out of there. Is there one in there? It's a 20. Anybody else got a 20? Get it out. I got somebody helping me right here. How, you come up here. Please. That sounded kind of rough, didn't it? And while you're at it, get me something to drink. Make me a sandwich. <laughs> come on, come on. I'm desperate. That's how I said it, so I, I apologize. All right, now, look, I, I'm not asking you to give that to me, but does that look pretty much like yours? Okay. Look at the back. You think both these are real? Okay. I need you to help me. I don't need you to work against me. You will be making me a sandwich if you mess me up. All right. Now, if would you be willing to trade me? Okay. Somebody else willing to trade me a 20? You will? Okay, now look, when I trade you, I got a 20, you got a 20. We didn't lose anything. We didn't lose any value. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to give you another comforter. You understand what I'm saying here? He said, I'm going away. Now, it's not a 20. But we didn't lose... Just like she didn't lose any value with this 20. When I gave her the 20, she gave me We didn't lose any value. Some of us look when Jesus went away. Man, it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. No, he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. Another one just like me. And the good thing about that is the, if Jesus were here on this earth, he could only be with her and he couldn't be with me. But the Holy Ghost can be in me. He can be in you. He can be in you. He can be in you. And we have received. Thank you. Thank, wait a minute. You received. How many know he'll send you another comforter? That's, that's the abundant life right there. Next time I ask for a volunteer, I'll probably get one a little quicker. But I'm not using her again. Listen, today, anybody who asks for the Holy Spirit can receive the Holy Spirit. So I, I think sometimes we get this idea, you know, that there's people that think, well, that's only, I hear people say that's just for certain people. They're not, I'm not against it, but I just don't, I don't know if it's for me. I want to tell you something. He said, upon all flesh. He didn't just say, if you go to Tri-County Worship Center. He didn't just say, if you're full gospel, you're assemblies of God, church of God, four square. He didn't say, if you're charismatic. But I'm telling you, upon all flesh. That means Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic. It doesn't matter. He said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, the promise is unto you. That was the 3,000 that got saved. And then he said to your children, that was the 3,000's children. But when he said all that are afar off, he was talking about you and I, that it is God's will for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He said in John 7, 
37, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit that those that believe should receive. If you're a believer, you should receive. Ephesians 5, 17 says, this is the will of God concerning you. How do we know the will of God? The will of God is in the Word of God. The will of God is that none should perish, but all come to repentance. It's God's will for you to be saved. That's according to the Word of God. But Ephesians 5, 17 says, this is the will of God concerning you. Be not drunk with wine. Well, I think you ought not be drunk with wine. That is God's will for you not to be drunk with wine, with Coors, with Shiva's Regal, with Crown Royal, with Jack Daniels, with Budweiser, with Bush, with Jose Cuervo. You say, I better stop there. You may think I know too many. But really, he says, the will of God is, but you should be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirits. That is God's will for your life. And I believe uh, if you ask, you can receive the Holy Spirit. See, you need to be born of the Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Spirit as well. Number three, the Holy Ghost gives you power to triumph over every difficulty. How many know this world has some difficulty? I say it all the time. This earth is the only hell a saved person will ever know. But this earth is the only heaven an unsaved person will ever know. If you're not going to serve God, this is as good as it ever gets. But if you'll serve God, this is as bad as it ever gets. And we might have some difficulty. But he said, if you remember the poor, that he'll remember you in the time of trouble. If you remember the poor, that he'll keep you alive. Are you understanding me? That's Psalm 41, 1 and 2. But there's something uh, that tells me that trouble can come. And difficulties may come, but the Holy Ghost will give you power to triumph over every difficulty. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. Now, the Revised Standard Version said, I will not leave you desolate. Desolate, I will not leave you feeling or showing misery, unhappiness or loneliness. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to abide in you. And if Jesus, when he walked with uh, uh, the disciples, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Thomas and, and all of the disciples, he walked with them. He was with them and he was beside them. He will not leave you either because he gave you another comforter to abide with you forever. And we made an exchange and we didn't lose anything we were at church where Lori was at church one night she washed her hands in the ladies room in uh, Tulsa and uh, uh, she told me about this later but she lost a diamond out of her ring I don't don't know how it happened I don't know if it fell on the ground popped out I don't know okay Uh, but you know diamonds a diamond chip or no chip How many know what I'm saying? And so she was bothered about it. There's a lady from um, Switzerland, Cherko, our friend. What was her first name? Stephanie Cherko. They were in our church from Switzerland, and they were good believers, man. I mean, word people. And she heard that Lori was looking in the bathroom for looking for that diamond and you know in, on tile it's hard to see stuff they began to pray in the Holy Ghost they began to pray in tongues and it wasn't just a few seconds they found that diamond how me understand something I, I believe that there's something that the Holy Ghost does for you it helps you triumph over every difficulty 
Okay, now my dad on Thanksgiving Day, my dad's a big man. He was healed of anorexia at birth. <laughs> my dad's 90, okay? My dad is 90. He'll tell that on himself. He's a big guy. He's been in this church, but it's been a long time ago. But, but he's, he looks like John Hagee, okay? He's big. And, um, uh, you know, he's 90, so he's got some issues, but he's still getting around. And he'll preach the paint off the wall if you listen to him, you know. And uh, he came over to our house on Thanksgiving. Well, as he's walking in, he decides to walk in on his own, okay, which he can, but he's 90, okay? Are we still understanding that? And he's got, you know, he kind of walks like this, and he has a cane, and he probably should use a walker, but, you know, he's too Clint Eastwood to use a walker, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So he got that cane, and I, I'm in another room, and I hear him flat hit the ground outside, like splat. That's how it sounded. I run out there. I'm already run out there. Lori's already over there praying in tongues hard as all get out. Now, I'm going to tell you something. He's hard to get off the ground. It's not easy. Dead weight is not easy. How many know what I'm saying? Like the last time he fell, the, the fireman came. Okay? This time, I don't know, man. It was just like Lori's praying in tongues, pulled him over. Boom, he's up. He doesn't have a mark. He doesn't have, he hit his face. He hit his side. He didn't have any pain, nothing. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that we ought to pray more often in the Holy Ghost. Listen, when I had Corona back at the beginning, when I pass out and I wake up and the Lord's slapping me and saying, Jesus, you know, and I told you I didn't know if she wanted me to come or go. I wasn't sure. But I found out later that, they called the ambulance, and the ambulance, we live in town. We live in Tulsa County, okay? We should, it took 45 minutes for the ambulance to get there. But I'm pretty sure I know why. Because Lily, who's 22, when she was calling the ambulance, she's praying in tongues when they, when they how may we help you? Shunda. But I was never so proud in all my life. Because I'm telling you, that's what the Holy Ghost is for. Not only to help us every day, but he's there to help you in difficult emergency situations. Are you with me? Amen. Let's talk some about how to be filled and stay filled. First of all, you got to yield to him. Amen. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to yield to him. Amen. And stay filled, you need to yield to him. Surrender, submit. When you yield to him, he yields to you. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on the word yield because yield, when I was 15 and a half, I took uh, driver's ed and driver's ed, they said yield meant proceed with caution. So don't use that definition. But really, uh, in Jamaica, they have a yield sign there and they have all these, uh, uh, you know, roundabouts, you know. You have a few in West Virginia because you didn't know what to do with the government's money, so you put them in the middle of nowhere. Amen. I saw one today. I was like, why? There isn't even any traffic here. Why do we have this? Must be the governor's brother-in-law needed some money or something. 
Isn't that how it works? Politicians are like this and like this. Okay. But at those roundabouts in Jamaica, they have a yield sign, but theirs aren't yellow, theirs are red. And they sit on their, you know, the triangle sits on its peak, but it says, give way. I'm going to tell you something. The way you stay filled with the Spirit is give way to the Lord. Yield to Him. Submit yourself to Him. And then He yields to you. I was in uh, Mexico in a pre-crusade. We were in uh, uh, Leon. No, not Leon. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. You can't remember either? Uh, Puebla. Oh, San Martin, Tex Malucan, Puebla, Mexico. How many names do they need to have? All right. That's why it was hard to remember. Some of you can't even remember what you had for lunch today. So it's okay. But we're at, at a pre-crusade. We're there getting all the pastors to join together. We're going to have a big, cru- and in the pre-crusade, we had over 3,500 people get saved. But two of the pastors are medical doctors. Both of them said we're pastoring by default. I said, what does that mean? They said, well, nobody else wants to pastor, and we decided we need a church. We're going to pastor whether anybody else will or not. They're medical doctors. They have a medical practice. They have business on top of that, and they're pastoring. One guy pastors like 900 people, and he's, he said, I don't even know if I'm called. He said, I'm just doing it until we get a real pastor. <laughs> I'm with this guy, his brother. Now, he pastors a missions church, a little town outside a bigger town that didn't have any Pentecostal church. And he went out there and built a building, and he's pastoring, and he said, I'm waiting just for somebody else to take over. I preached in his church one night, and after service, he said, look, I, I've got an emergency. I've got to go. He said, but I want to talk to you. Can we meet Saturday at my restaurant? He owns a restaurant, kind of like a Panera but it doesn't say Panera, okay? Uh, You know, you can get coffee, you can get a little sandwich, you can get a little dessert. He said, meet me there on Saturday, I want to talk to you. He said, when you were preaching, he said something, he can speak English, he can speak English and Spanish, so he he says to me, something pricked my heart while you were preaching. You said that, uh, he said, uh, I said that faith is of the heart, not of the head. See, sometimes our head can be wrong and our heart be right. Amen. Amen. To help somebody out. Now you look at your husband and go, yeah, I always knew his head was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But he said to me, here he is pastoring a full gospel church. He said, I've been trying for years to get filled with the Holy Ghost. But he said, I was trying to figure it out up here. He's a very smart man. All right, he's a doctor. He's a medical doctor. He, he, he knows more than one language. But he said, he said, I was trying to figure out why you had to speak with tongues. He said, I just couldn't figure that out. He said, but when you preached, something pricked my heart. It's faith that pleases God. Yeah. And to speak in tongues, it takes faith. 
He's, and I looked at him right there in that restaurant. It was full of people. He's there with his wife. I said, I perceive that you have faith to be filled with the Holy Ghost right now. He lifts up his hands, tears run down his face. He starts speaking in tongues out loud in that restaurant. And all of a sudden, he jump starts his wife. She's never been filled with the Holy Ghost. She starts speaking in tongues as well. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, when you yield to him, he will yield to you. Amen. Amen. Now, some people say, well, do I have to tarry? To receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You do not have to tarry for the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to say that the Holy Ghost has already been given. I believe at the beginning it said tarry in Jerusalem. If you had to tarry, you'd have to go to Jerusalem to get filled. But I don't really think it was about tarrying for you and I. The gift has been given, received. But with that being said, if somebody offered to give you a million dollars and they said, uh, It'll be sometime tomorrow. I'm going to give you a million dollars. How many know you'd wait all day? Sometime tomorrow you're going to get a million dollars. You'd be willing to wait all day. So I, what am I saying? If somebody offered to give you a million dollars, somehow you'd make time to wait even if it took all day. The same goes with the Holy Ghost. I don't think you have to tarry, but you are receiving something that is worth more than a million dollars for your life. You ought to be willing to wait until you receive. Get things in line until you're ready to receive. He's ready. He's already given. He's ready for you to receive. But sometimes we got to work a few things out. We need to ask for the gift, number three. If we want to stay filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, we need to ask. We need to stay. Ask Him. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask. That's right. Amen. You know what I do some days? I just say, Lord, refill me with the Holy Ghost today. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I, I pray in tongues. I want to be like Paul where I speak in tongues more than y'all. I don't care if you like it or not. You know, that's not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to stay full of the Holy Ghost or be filled with the Holy Ghost, number four, you spend much time praising the Lord. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God when the Holy Spirit fell. Do you realize that Jesus himself declared that our ministry was to be like his? He said, greater works shall you do because I go unto the Father. We should be having some things happen, but we've got to spend some time praising the Lord. And his ministry, here when he walked into the temple, he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me. We need to know that the Spirit of God is upon us and that he has anointed us, that we bring deliverance to the captive, sight to the blind, and recovery of that which was lost. Are you understanding me? I believe the fullness of the Spirit is the only thing that will give us a resemblance to Him in spirit, purpose, and service. We need to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to be like Jesus. Now, there's a man that I love to read after, and uh, somebody gave me some stuff you can't get anymore. And uh, it's, it's not even in book form. I got it on a hard drive, and it's a book, but it's, it was copied from somebody. Somebody had this old book by P.C. Nelson. P.C. Nelson was a, a man they said could write in 25 languages. He could speak in 25 languages. He was a linguistic expert, and uh, he started out as a Baptist minister in Detroit, Michigan. 
And he got filled with the Holy Ghost uh, at the Beals house. Uh, sister, brother and sister James Beal were up there. They used to pastor, uh, was that called Bethesda? Bethesda, missionary tabernacle at the time. I think it's just now Bethesda. But they had a great move of God in that church for many, many years. Sister Beal was a great preacher of the gospel and he got filled with the Holy Ghost in their house but here's a man that was a linguistic expert for the military he could write 25 languages speak 25 languages and he became a uh, Pentecostal scholar if you will I mean he was you know most of the time in uh, early uh, 1900s and up to 1950 we didn't have a whole bunch of smart guys preaching now we got too smart for our britches Okay, whatever. We had smart guys, but a lot of them didn't have a, a degree behind their name. Okay, are you getting that? That, that? I'm not putting anybody down. But this guy had some stuff behind his name, and he was still Pentecostal. I like that. He wrote a book, Bible Doctrines. I think everybody ought to read it. It's, really, it's available still, Bible Doctrine by P.C. Nelson. But he said something. I was reading his a book that he had that I have on hard drive, and I don't even know, I can't remember what the name of the book is. But it said, he said, it is evident that most expositors confuse the gift of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. That most expositors confuse the gift of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. Now, think about that. And this is the very thing that clouds their interpretation. He said, for this reason, it seems necessary to draw a clear line in the scriptures between the gift of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, what is that saying to you? How many know that it seems sometimes confusing? You ever read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14? You know, Paul, he writes a little interesting, okay? Uh, even though he is... Moved by the Holy Ghost to write these things, his personality is involved. Everybody wrote, you know, Luke wrote different than Matthew, and Matthew wrote different than John. How many understand? They all, they're what they, you know, if you're a fisherman, you write different than a medical doctor. Okay? And that's why those books are different, and that's why we all like different books better than the other. But Paul, have you ever read, like in Romans chapter 7, he says, he's, he's reading there about the flesh. He says, I find myself doing this, but then I don't want to do this, and I won't do this. And, I, and it's a little confusing, you know, if you read it. But it's, you can understand it. But he writes that way. And I think that when the problem is, all these years when we read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that he mixes the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Are you understanding me? I'm going to get to this, and it's going to, it's going to make a little sense. I've been working on this for years, okay? And I'm, I'm still not sure I got it completely good enough to tell everybody, but I'm going to try tonight, okay? Amen. Now, an easy way, I think I've got a, on the sign right here, on the board, an easy way to remember the difference between speaking with tongues and the gift of tongues is that speaking with tongues is man talking to God. It goes from earth to heaven. Now understand, when I say speaking in tongues, how many understand that when I'm talking speaking in tongues there, I'm not talking about that a message in tongues. When somebody gets up in church and, and gives a message in tongues that must be interpreted. Are you understanding? It, for 
easiness sake, let's say a prayer language, okay? Is that okay for everybody? It's not my favorite word, but I'm going to use it to help people, okay? Can I use that word? So the difference between your prayer language and the gift of tongues, which would have to be interpreted, is that when you speak with tongues, it's man talking to God. When I uh, have my prayer language, it's man talking to God. It goes from earth to heaven. But the gift of tongues, that which must be interpreted, on the other hand, comes from heaven to earth because it is God speaking through a man to other men. Is this making sense? I'm trying to, I I want you to get this because I think that the problem we have is when we try to talk to our friends about the Holy Spirit, they come from different backgrounds and they they don't understand that we have a prayer language and they they confuse the gifts of the Spirit with our prayer language. And so they go, well, tongues will cease. They don't understand we're not talking about the same thing. Are you getting this? Okay, whatever. I'm going to get there. Let's look at this. In Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter has a message. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say the gifts of the Spirit. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? In Acts chapter 10. When the Holy Ghost is poured out at Cornelius's house, it says there, and the Gentiles, on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Singular, gift of the Holy Spirit. And now, when you go over to Acts chapter 11, when Peter is drawn in by the people at Jerusalem is saying, now why did that happen to the Gentiles? This is not right, because up to this point, only people that were Jews had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he says this, he said, well, uh, uh, the Holy Ghost fell on us like it did in the beginning, and it was the like gift, the like gift, all right? So I, I think we need to understand gifts and gift. Are you, are, can we... Are we okay with this? I'm slowing it down because I want you to hear this. All right, now let's talk about this. Put up the next slide. All right, when we talk about the prayer language, look right here. When I have a prayer language, when I speak in tongues, I'm not speaking to men. According to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, I'm speaking to God. But when I have the gift of tongues that must be interpreted, I speak to men. Okay. Let's go to the next. All right, here we go. When I have the prayer language, I speak mysteries. Even Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for uh, we know not what we should pray as we ought, for the Spirit himself make an intercession with the saints which cannot be uttered. When we speak in our prayer language, we, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, we don't speak to men, we speak to God, but we are speaking mysteries. All right? Now, but when you have the gift of tongues, the message is understood. All right, let's go on. Next one. When we have the prayer language, according to 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, we edify ourselves. When I pray in the Spirit, I can build myself up on my most holy faith. Jude, verse 20, building myself up on my most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, it says on this side, when I have the gift of tongues, it edifies the church as it is being interpreted. Now, let's go on to the next. All right? 
With the prayer language, there is no interpretation. You are not speaking it to the church, but you're speaking to God. But if you have the gift of tongues, the interpretation is needed. So if you give a message in tongues and nobody else interprets, I'm sorry, but you got to interpret. Amen. Amen. This is the rules. There are rules for order in the church. Amen. All right, let's go on. I'm trying to help somebody. Let's go to the next one, okay? We got here. The prayer language is for believers. We are a red X, uh, or John 7, 37, 38, said, if you believe, you should receive. But the gift of tongues, on the other side, that must be, it's a sign to unbelievers. Yeah. It's good. So sometimes when you mix these things, you get all confused, all you know, you because they they'll come in because they've been taught in their Sunday school class or something that you know that this is of the devil and this is these people are crazy and they're miss. But really, if you interpret the word of God correctly, Amen. you can help some of your friends that don't understand the way you are. Amen. All right, let's go on. Let's go to the next slide. That's it. That's the last slide. Okay. So we got the gift of tongues. It edifies the church. There's no interpretation with that. The gift of tongues, interpretations needed. Now listen, the gift of tongues is assigned to unbeliever. The prayer language is for believers. But I'm going to tell you something. When we speak in tongues, some people still have problems with it, but it's an outward sign of an inward work that God has done in our heart and in our life. Are you with me? See, I believe that in Acts chapter 2, they spake with tongues. In Acts chapter 10, they spake in tongues. In Acts chapter 19, they spake in tongues. I believe in Acts chapter 8, they spake in tongues. I believe Paul, that was filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 9, when he says, I speak with tongues more than y'all, when he was filled, he spoke with tongues too. But it is not the only evidence. It is the initial evidence. It is the first evidence. Amen. Yeah. All right? But after the first evidence, there ought to be some other evidence too. Amen. You can't be the ugliest, meanest person in the church and still be filled with the Spirit. Amen. I don't know what you're filled with, but you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. But we need to let him work on the inside. Now, I don't know if that helped anybody tonight, but I, I just felt like I just felt like slowing that down because I'm going to tell you, it, it took me a while to put this in pieces where I could even explain it because I'm going to tell you, I get people all the time. They want to say, well, what about this? You know, that they use this side to keep us from this side. Amen. Are you getting that? Stand with me in this place. Come on, everybody. <laughs> 